I'd love for us to offer a prayer. God, we desire to continue to worship you. As we turn our attention now toward the sermon and toward scripture, we pray, Lord, as we will hear words from someone spoken during the early church, we pray that we too might repent and to be filled with joy. For the sake of your world, we pray together, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. So it is that time of year, once again, graduation season, which means it is the season of commencement addresses. I had the privilege of reading remarks that were made from Covenant's own Dr. Marv Hackert, remarks that he made uh, to doctoral students at the University of Texas two weeks ago. I heard at a high school graduation party Friday night that the three student speakers at Westwood did a really great job. I am looking forward to traveling to the University of Washington this next weekend to attend a college graduation on behalf of my friend Heather. I am sure I will hear a speech or two. The season of commencement addresses. I, like some of you, have been paying attention to some of the commencement addresses that have been uh, most viral on social media. The two for me that have been standout are one from filmmaker Steven Spielberg speaking to graduates at Harvard University, the other being from Sheryl Sandberg, chief operating officer at Facebook, speaking for the first time since the sudden and tragic death of her husband a, a year ago, she gave the commencement address at the University of California in Berkeley. Spielberg urged graduates in a world of villains to take on the world's woes and to become the heroes. He shared of his hope that graduates would find a sense of mission and that they would not turn away from what is painful. Sandberg wasn't there to tell them about all the things that she learned in life. She instead wanted to share with them all that she had learned from in death. She talked about resilience and how the greatest irony of her life is that through the experience of losing her husband, she has learned deeper gratitude. The season of commencement addresses could cause us to wonder and to ask the question, what makes for a great graduation speech? Pastor and friend of mine, Mary Graves, she offers the following four criteria that I would like to share with you, to, criteria to help to discern if, if a speech is a great graduation speech. One, the person. The, the, the person themselves who is giving the speech, is that person an impressive person? Some institutions spend quite a bit of money to bring in a notable person, so is the person impressive? Secondly, you've got the whole idea of how engaging are they? During a commencement when there is a great movement with everybody wanting really to move toward the celebration and not to hear a speech, how engaging, how able is that person to connect with others? 
Third, you've got does the message inspire people to do something? And finally, and most definitely, probably most importantly, you've got the response. And not only the response that happens as the the speech is finished with people cheering and giving a standing O, whatever they do at the end of a, a celebration, but or after a speech is done, but rather what happens in the the days and the weeks following? What is the response then? Perhaps in our day and time, a, a good way to measure that is how viral did it go on social media? How often was the message shared? We continue with our teaching in the book of Acts, a book about the story of the birth of the church. We come to the, the book of Acts and we find at the very beginning of the book of Acts that the community is waiting. They are waiting and praying for something to happen. For Jesus has been resurrected, and right before he ascends back to the Father in heaven, he tells those disciples that they are going to be his witnesses. They are going to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are going to need help to be able to do that. They are going to need some sort of power, and he is not going to abandon them. He is not going to leave them orphaned, some power will come to them. They don't understand what it is, so they wait and they pray for it to happen. More will be needed than busyness and some and just strenuous human effort. Some other power source will be needed. Power comes at Pentecost. As devout Jews gather in Jerusalem from far-reaching places, they come together to that city to celebrate one of three annual festivals. And while they are gathered at Pentecost, the feast, the festival of Pentecost, power comes at that time. In this wonderfully strange and vivid story where flames and wind and people begin to speak in other languages beside their own. This happens to a group of people who are huddled up in an upper room. Those people now come down from the upper room and they're flooding into the streets speaking languages that aren't their own, and the people around them, they are wondering what in the world is going on. What, is the wor- what in the world is going on? And Peter, in response to someone asserting that perhaps they are drunk, that is his cue to make a speech. I'm going to invite my friend Joe Muck to come up now. We are going to be listening to Scripture from Acts 2, verses beginning in verse 14, to allow you to hear this Scripture from another voice. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attended to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Down to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your, names, your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who, were, who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So I have received some playful teasing and fun emails over the weekend in response to today's sermon title, Best Sermon Ever. <laughs> now, I am not talking about my own sermon goofballs, but rather the first Christian sermon recorded in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts 2. After the Holy Spirit fell upon the first followers of Jesus, Peter preached a sermon to help those present understand what was happening. In time, he will say that those who turn away from their sin, those who turn toward Christ, that they will receive the Spirit as well. So why do some say that this is possibly the best sermon ever? I'd like to go back and use that criteria that, that I early, earlier shared with you to help us to kind of think through this. First of all, the person. Is the person speaking an impressive person? Is Peter an impressive person? <laughs> I would say not so much. Now, now, for us now, I think Peter feels quite impressive with so many years removed, but at that particular time, we got, you got to go way back to the context of that time, he is living with very fresh wounds of failure. Out of all of Jesus' early disciples, 
Peter's failures are most noted. He often speaks without thinking. He's brash and impulsive and never at a loss for words. Peter, he's uneducated. He's a fisherman. He is not known to be an orator, yet he is the one that God uses to explain the significance of, of Pentecost and to explain this pouring out of the Spirit upon all people. Friends, this is a word of grace for Peter, and this is a word of grace for us. For God ultimately is not looking for well-prepared, polished people, but rather humble, teachable, available people. Secondly, how about the message the, the scripture that Joe just read, does that particular message captivate you? Maybe for some of you it does, maybe for others of you it doesn't, but for its original hearers, they were most definitely captivated. As Peter preached Christ, as he preached the life and the death, the resurrection, the, the ascension of Jesus the Christ. Here we have a Jew speaking to fellow Jews, linking the story of Jesus with the scriptures of the, the Hebrew people. Peter helps them to see and to understand who Jesus is. A great deal always hinges on us understanding who Jesus is. Peter interprets the new air of the Spirit. It is a momentous watershed moment. For the first time in history, God began to do what he promised in Joel, which is the empowering of all people with the Spirit. The Spirit comes in fullness at Pentecost. However, the work of the Spirit did not start there. You can find the work of the Spirit in the whole story of God's story. But whereas in the Old Testament, you most always see the Spirit empowering prophets and priests and kings. Here in the New Testament, the Spirit of God is not just for prophets and priests and kings. The Spirit is for all people. Did you hear how many times Joe said the word all? It's for all people. Regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, regardless of your social status in life, the Spirit is given to all. It is no longer an exotic possession of a prophetic few, it is available and given to all. And what has been poured out cannot be gathered again. Think about all of these crazy daily heavy rainstorms we have been experiencing of late. The generosity of God's Spirit, the gift of God's Spirit, it is not a drizzle but rather a downpour. What about inspiring? Is the speech inspiring? They were deeply moved. And finally, how about the response? The response is incredible. Those who supported the crucifixion, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. They asked, what is it that they need to do? There is a sincere desire to get right with God. Peter recommends that they make a change. He tells them that they need a whole new beginning. They need to turn in a new direction. They are to repent, to be baptized, and they will receive God's forgiveness. 
the remarkable thing is they do it. Literally, to repent means to me to, to change one's mind. Those who hear Peter's sermon, they change their mind about Jesus. They submit to the very one they had rejected. And talk about viral. Here we have the church's first new members class. 3,000 people responded in a way that we are still talking about today, 2,000 years later. The story of God's pursuit and restoration and transformation of his people. I'd like to share with you about a conversation I had this week with my friend David. When you are devoted to something, you build your life around it. David was devoted to alcohol and to drugs. He lived to feed and to satisfy his addiction. In his word, David lived for David. He indulged in anything and everything he wanted to indulge in. He was married, and as you might guess, his marriage was horrendous. They were separated time and time again. She would chase him out of the house every time he was using. And time, one of the main ways he got to spend time with his kids was when he took them to worship on Sunday morning. David didn't really like to go to church on Sunday morning, but it was an opportunity for him to spend time with his kids. So he heard about Jesus. He heard stories of miracles and stories of transformation. But David continued to go his own way until one very early Easter morning around 2 o'clock in the morning when he was pulled over by DPS, he was found to be in possession of drugs and arrested. Now in prison, one day David got into a fight with one of the members of a more prominent prison gang. The guy who fought with David, threatened to kill David. He threatened David's life. The men around David told David, you better get him before he gets you because people tend to follow through with their threats in prison because they don't want to appear weak. So David now proceeded to go about the business of creating a a shank, a makeshift weapon. He began to be consumed with, with death and in particular taking the life of that specific guy. He knew how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and where it was going to happen. His weapon was ready. It was just a matter of time. This is when God intervened in his life. For in God's providence, David had the flu. So he went over to the infirmary in order to get medicine for the flu. And as he spent time in the infirmary, all of a sudden, this big entourage of people started to walk toward the infirmary. And David realized the one who was at the center of the chaos was a person who was living in isolation. In fact, This man was living in isolation 23 hours of each day, serving two life sentences. He was wearing only 
pants. His hair was a mess. David said there were tattoos everywhere, but in particular, his whole face was tattooed with words. He said it was difficult for him to know whether to, to look at the man or to read him. He was carried on a cot, shackled, completely restrained. So all of these guards bring this man to the infirmary where David is waiting for medicine for the flu. And all of a sudden, David is beside this man. And David now listens as this man begins to share stories with quite a bit of prison bravado. David says that spending time with that prideful, shackled man was like having a mirror held up in front of him. He went back to his prison cell, he got on his knees and he wept. He didn't care if people around him were hearing his weeping, he could not control it, he was cut to the heart. He prayed to God, if you are real and if you exist, change me, I will go wherever you want me to go, I will walk through whatever door you want me to walk through. David had an encounter with a living God that changed him. It was a whole new way of life for David Pena, who, along with his wife, Margie, founded Texas Reach Out Ministries, one of our mission partners that does remarkable work specializing in transitional housing for recently released prison inmates. I connected with David this past week. It was the most beautiful part of my week. For David, who found himself to be in prison nearly 30 years ago, he is still brought to tears as he remembers and recounts God's rescue and God's tangible presence with him. While in prison, he became emotional multiple times during our conversation as he recounted something that happened three decades ago. This has been a wild journey for David. He continues to be on quite an adventure with the Lord. Texas Reach Out Ministries, it is making a difference in the lives of men and women. But David Pena, he will be the first one to say that this is not about David. This is not about the ministry. This is not about acquiring more houses so that they will have more houses for transitional ministry. This is not about a successful business model and how they are a successful nonprofit. This is all about the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in God's people. Friends, the biggest decision we will ever make is to be a part of God's story. We are already a part of God's story, whether we realize it or not, but to make a decision to be a part of Jesus' family and then to be sent out as Jesus' witnesses. We are instruments to do his work and to tell others about the night and day difference that God has made in our lives. Friends, the truth of the resurrected Jesus in the poured out spirit, it changes everything. 
It changes everything about death. It changes everything about life. You don't have to be afraid anymore. The one who knows what we are like and who knows our name. He gave himself freely for us on the cross. And he longs for us to have fellowship with him and to trust ourselves entirely over to him and entirely into his mercy and his grace and to bless us with the richest, most purpose-filled life imaginable and to have power to live and to love like Jesus. I wonder, are we limited as we think about the spirit-infused life? Are we limited by our fear, by our sin, and frankly, by our small expectations? The very essence of God is to take that which is dead and to make it alive again. Our God is a God of resurrection. What Israel needed to hear, we need to hear too. God will breathe in us life-giving breath that will make us fully alive and give us the power that we need to do in order to do what God asks of us. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon us, the very life and love of God within us. The best sermon ever is the one you preach with your life. The best sermon ever is the one that you preach with your life as you share a sermon of love and of grace with everyone that you find yourself in contact with. There is nothing like the story of a transformed life. Your changed and changing life best sermon ever. Would you pray with me? God, we would pray that you indeed would pour out your spirit upon your people, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we might live as yours in this world. Prepare us now, Lord, to come to your table and to receive from you nourishment in order to be your witnesses. Thank you for this meal, loving God. Thank you for your desire to have fellowship with us. We are unworthy of such a great love. May love so pure change our lives. Send us from this place changed and new as we now come to your table. Amen.